We've been talking about victory. And I, I thought yesterday I got to watch. Uh, so I love the rivalry because I'm a Hoosier, live in Indiana all my life, and I love the Purdue-IU rivalry. Anybody love it? Like whatever team you're for, I just love it, you know. Now, I was happy IU won, I'm just saying. But anybody happy IU won? A few of us, yeah. Um, but I will say this, that I'm a big, I'm a big Zach Eady fan. I, I like I like. I like him, and, and then I also was rooting for Purdue a little bit. I wanted IU to win, but, you know, if Purdue had won, I'd been okay with it because uh, Lawyer, his his cousin, uh, Rihanna, goes to our church who, play, who plays for Purdue. He's a freshman, a really good – he's, he's going to have a great career. But anyways, but I, I like victory. I like to win. I think that we should be winning. And I'm, talking, I'm not talking about basketball right now. I'm talking about life. In our pursuit of Jesus, we should be winning, not losing. Anybody with me? victorious, not defeated. You don't have to live a defeated life. You can live a victorious life. And we're on a journey, started on January 1, called 100 Days to Victory. One, day 100 is the day after Easter. It's a Monday, and we're going to be right here, at least I am, Monday night after Easter because it's 100 Days to Victory. We're going to have victory. Anybody have victory? Say yes. And so, so we're on this 100 days, and, and what's happened is we made a commitment. And you could still jump in, by the way. I, I know we're probably... I don't know, 65 days or something like that still. But, but a commitment, a commitment, as, as Ms. Carolyn was talking about, tithing, a commitment to say, hey, I'm going to step out. And some of you have just stepped out maybe for the first time or maybe trying to get this part right in your life. You stepped out to distrust God in an area. And, and, and by the way, praying uh, consistently over you, just doing that. Some of you have said, hey, I'm going to go above and beyond, and thank you for doing that. And then another commitment was Saturday mornings at prayer. And we've had just a great number of people that have been here on Saturday morning. I'm telling you, if you've got a church that will have 10, 15, 20% of their congregation show up for an hour on Saturday morning to pray, that's pretty significant. Everybody with me? And so, and so it says something about who we are. And then uh, reading through the New Testament together. And uh, if you've not been, you can jump in. Your calendar's on the Church Center app. You just download it. You can find it there under 100 Days to Victory under the event, but reading through the New Testament together. Anybody been doing that? Let me hear you say yes. So it's been good stuff. Every day just jumping in. And then fasting. I spent uh, a month um, in many of you in a fast, and maybe you're still working through some of that, but, but taking some time fasting. By the way, prayer and fasting are the marks of any move of God, by the way. And, and then Sundays, being here on Sunday, a commitment to do it. And I'm telling you, our church has been like, Probably a lot of other places have been battling with sickness and all kinds of stuff. And yet every Sunday, there's people here. And, and hopefully not a bunch of sick people. I'm not saying that. But, but uh, and many can't. And maybe you're online this morning. We're glad you're watching online. But, but just pushing through and, and, uh, and, and things that maybe would, but would hinder but being here. And then the other one, and I'm going to deal with this today, the other commitment that many of you made. And I looked at the cards commitment cards that didn't have names but represented your commitment level. And the other commitment opportunity was, and many of you chose this, was in the 100 days that we journey is to bring, or I use the word get, someone here. Not just invite, because you can throw a lot of invitations and nobody show up to the party, but that you really get somebody here, that you, you ensure that somebody shows up in that 100 days. Anybody hearing me? Because here's the thing. We, we believe that there's people in your life right now, P, 
people living, doing life with you that are in your sphere of influence, it's in your family, it's one of your friends, it's a neighbor, classmate, uh, uh, somebody you work with, that God has put you in their life on purpose. It's not accidental, it's not coincidental, it's on purpose that you're in their life. And because you're in their life, you're in their life to make a difference. And I believe this, that every person in this room, every person under the sound of my voice that's listening online, God wants to use your life to make a difference. And by the way, our world needs a difference. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, we looked at so many things hoping it'll make a difference. And at the end of the day, institutions and all the things that we put our hope in, they sometimes fall short. But here's the thing we can know is that God can use you and your life to make a difference. And, and, and to be quite honest, that's what revival is. And sometimes we talk about revival as some elusive thing, and we can't get a hold of it, and it's kind of kind of this ethereal thing out here somewhere floating around, and one day maybe we'll have it. Well, revival is revival makes a difference. Show me any any move of God, revival, awakening that's happening, that's happened in our world, and I'll show you the difference that it made. If it was truly of God, it made a difference in people's lives. Just did. And I want to tell you, when you understand that your life counts, that you're here on purpose, that your life is meant to make a difference, I want to tell you, that's the beginning of revival. And so today and next Sunday, I'm going to really drill down and talk about, about this idea, and this is what we're calling this series, Difference Maker. Say it with me. One, two, three. Yeah, Difference Maker. You can be a Difference Maker. Maybe you didn't know you could. You can. And I, I love C.T. Studd is one of my favorite guys to, if I can get his name right, it's one of my, my favorite guys to, to just look into every, every so often. I'll, I'll pull out his, his story and read it again. But, but he said this, and this is maybe familiar to many of you. He wrote the line, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has burned out for thee. In other words, he's saying this, that if, if, if I have made a difference for you, Jesus, that's going to make me happy. But I only got one life. By the way, we're not like cats. We don't have nine. You only got one here on this planet. And by the way, I've, I've learned this, and I don't want to depress anybody, but just the reality of it is life is short. I used, I used to do this thing. I don't do it too much anymore because it's just kind of depressing. Take a dime for every 10 years, and if you live to 100, 10 dimes. And by the way, most people don't live to be 100. It's a kind of a small group of people that live that old. But, but then if, if you take off the, the dimes that are, you've already used up, it can be a little depressing when you look at that few that you have, if you're my age anyways. Some of you are younger. You might be more encouraged because, because life is short. James says it like this. Life is like a vapor that appears for a little while and vanishes away. It's like a tale that is told. It's like grass. The psalmist says it grows up and then is cut down. So we only have one life, and life moves quickly. It seems like yesterday I was 30 years old. It seems like I can remember I was just I was 20, kind of careless, foot loose and fancy free for a while. In my mind, sometimes I'll hear these kids talk about high school, and I feel like, well, I just was in high school. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody else do that? Am I the only one? Because time just moves so quick, and I'm not any of those things I just mentioned. I'm an old bald guy. Life life moves quickly. Life moves moves quickly. And if I'm if I'm going 
to do something significant with my life, I need to start today. Don't get depressed and think, well, I've lived too many years and I've wasted years. Everybody's got some years and moments that they wasted. But you know what? You pick your head up today and you square your shoulders back and say, today, starting today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this right. Here's the cool thing about Jesus. He makes all things new. So in Colossians, uh, we're going to pick it up in chapter 4. Colossians is a book that Paul wrote from prison. It's, it's, it's one of the, I think it's four Pauline prison epistles, letters that he wrote. And he wrote this to this church in Colossians. And he, he says this in verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. These are some power-packed verses. There's so much here, and I won't get to all of it today, but just but for, for a moment, let me, let me pick back up in verse 2. It says, uh, Paul says this, continue earnestly in prayer, steadfast, steadfastly. Um, don't grow weary in it, but, but consistently continue in prayer. And that's a message that he'll, he'll say over and over again. In fact, it's a, it's a message that we get from God's Word, especially from the New Testament, that, that be people of prayer. And these, and these 100 days to victory, don't give up on your prayer life. Don't discard it. Continue to call out to God in prayer. And then he says this, being vigilant, being watchful. In fact, I can just, I can just kind of um, place the words of Jesus here when Jesus said, watch and pray. Peter wrote in First uh, Peter 5 and says, says uh, be sober, be vigilant, watchful. So being watchful, eyes open, wide-eyed life, not, not closed eyes, not, not, not uh, closed off to what God is doing, but be aware, be sensitive, be, be understanding that there is an enemy that walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, that he may try to hinder you in your prayer life. He may try to hinder you in your, in your movement in progression in a relationship with God. And then he says, in it with thanksgiving. In fact, the apostle here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing to this church in Col- uh, this, uh, this Colossian church, but yet the Holy Spirit giving this to us today. Paul, he was aware of the church he was writing it to and what they needed to hear, and yet the Holy Spirit was aware that you'd be here on this first Sunday in February in 2023, and he knew what you would need to hear. And he says this, do it in thanksgiving. That's the foundation of prayer. I believe this, you really can't have a good prayer life without thanksgiving. That's why on Saturday mornings when we, when we start our time of corporate prayer, we always start off with worship because worship. you just don't bust into the throne room and say, God, I want this and this and this. If that's your prayer life, it's not, it, by, the, by the way, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of uh, small and it's insignificant if all you do is give God your wish list. Don't go to God with your wish book, your Sears catalog, and say, I want this and this and this. That's what we did as kids. Anybody remember that? You, you don't go to God that way. Well, here's why. Because you, you know, he knows you have needs. And people around you, they need stuff too. And pray about that for sure. But you don't walk into the throne room. There's a protocol to go in his presence. You go with worship and thanksgiving. God, I thank you for what you've already done in my life. Anybody got a testimony right there? You've already provided so much. God, I'm so thankful, and I just want to praise you for who you are. You are a healer already. 
There may be a thorn in my flesh, but God, you are a healer, and I praise you because you are a healer. I'm not looking just at my circumstances. I'm looking at you. And so so we, we go with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, he says, praying also for us. Paul's asking for prayer, and here's his prayer, that God would open for us a door for the word. Now, that, that's very much like the, the, I think it's 1 Corinthians 16, where he says that, that a great door of effectual, effective door would be open. He's asking for them to pray that, that there be a door that would open for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. And then he says, because I'm in prison, right? I, I'm also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Paul's saying, I don't want to just speak words. He says in another place, I don't want to. I don't come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost. You know, right? he, he, he wants not just, not just a TED Talk. I mean, no, you don't need that. Any, any preacher worth his salt doesn't want to just get up and give you words. Anybody could do that. Right? It's not, it's not just information. That there be the power and demonstration. There be a manifestation of God working through what is being spoken. In fact, I'm really never concerned about what I'm going to preach about and what I'm going to talk about. I can do that the drop of a hat if I have to. I'm really concerned about what's God going to do with that when I deliver it. right? I want, I want, to, I want to see God do something in your life. It's, it's all about where we're coming up to, not where we're at right now. And so I'm going to spend some time in the next two verses, verse 6 and 5, because I, I think that it's so important that we understand that Paul gives us, I believe, three instructions for you and I that are so important in making a difference with our life, to be a difference maker. And he says this in verse 5, redeeming the time. The Greek word there is, 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 is almost to this impact of buying up the time. That, that in your life, understand that there is time that's been given. And everybody gets the same amount pretty much. Like today, you got 24 hours, I got 24 hours, all God's people got 24 hours, right? That's what we got. You can choose what you can, you can, you can waste that away and tomorrow say, well, I didn't do anything yesterday. Or you can redeem it and, and get the value for it. Because I believe this. I believe this because I've witnessed it. I believe it because I see the example in God's word that God will give you divine appointments. Anybody hear what I'm saying? That God will set you up in a divine way through what he's doing with an appointment with somebody. In fact, if you were reading in, in the New Testament with us this morning in, in Acts, maybe you haven't read it yet, but you're going to read it later, but in Acts 16, one of the chapters we're reading, um, is, Paul is he's, he's about the Lord's business, him and Silas, and there's this girl that's following them, and she's just saying all these great things about who they are, truthful things, and yet she's demonically possessed. And Paul, at one point, he just gets a little bit tired of her flattery, I think, and he turns around, maybe annoyed. I don't know the whole situation. I'm not in his head, and I'm not there. But, but he turns around, and he casts the demon out of her. Well, the people that own her and the people that have charge of her and the people that are connected with her, that profit from her, they're pretty upset with her. And they go to the magistrates and, and they take Paul and Silas and they beat them up and, 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 and um, beat them and then they throw them in prison. And here they are in prison and in prison where they should have been, you know how it is. I mean, if you're doing something bad, you complain a little bit and you got caught. You know what I'm talking about? Like that time you were speeding and you got pulled over and you're just so mad, so upset. And they give you a warning, and you're like, oh, that officer, he's the best one ever. And they give you a ticket, and now you're just upset. I don't know if I know a whole lot about that or not, but I'm just saying. 
and you're just complaining and complaining. But you were doing wrong, and, well, it's what you get, and it's a penalty. But, but, but if you were doing right, Paul and Silas were doing a good thing. They were out taking the gospel to people, and now they're in jail. And so it's opportune time to throw up the complaints and all the, all the woe is me and look at what, where's God at and why is he always da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And instead of doing that, though, they're singing songs and praising God and, and, and lifting up his name and what God does. And I believe this Apostle Paul was so keenly aware that, God, you're setting me up. This is a divine appointment that they're singing and an earthquake rocks the jail. I mean, it's jailhouse rock all over. And the jailer, he's a little concerned because the doors are open. He knows off with his head by the person that he's got to answer to if these prisoners escape and he's ready to take his own life. Paul's like, don't, don't harm yourself. We're here. We're here. And they lead the jailer to salvation in Jesus. And not only him, but that night they baptized his whole family. You see, because it was a divine setup. And you may think the struggle you're in and thing you're going through, well, where's God in this and what's happening? And, and I just tell you, you got to understand this. It may just be your moment. You see, I want to talk first of all about our moment, our moment. Psalms 20, or 37, 23 said the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, right? The, the idea is that, that, that he'll delight in his way. Proverbs 16, 9 says this, a man, heart, his heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps, that God is setting you up. And if you live your life looking for the moments, if you live your life available for the moments, if you start every day being in a place and saying, God, I'm ready for you to use me. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know what the adventure is going to be today, but I'm ready for you to do what you want to do with me. Not hitting your alarm clock five times on snooze and trying to roll out last minute and try to get by and survive today. You realize that today is a gift. Somebody said that's why they call it the present, right? T -t today is a gift for you, and God has put you in this moment of time so that you can make an impact with your life. You're not here on accident. You don't have to just try to get through life. God wants to use you for something bigger than just yourself. I love what C.T. Studham, I'll quote him again. He said this, someone to live within the sound of church or chapel bell, I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. In other words, I like it because he's straight. In other words, what he's saying is, you know what, there's a whole lot of lost people out there who are just meandering through life and don't get it, and I've got Jesus, and I should want to share him with everybody that I know. I should want everybody to experience this life. If this is the best life, if I'm living the abundant life, if, if Jesus, if God's love is real and I'm experiencing that, I should want everybody to know about it. Because you know how we get with stuff we like. We share it with people. Some of you are like, well, I heard White Castle is going to open back up, and, you know, you're, you're telling people already about the date. And I'm just saying Jesus is way better than White Castle. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, White Castle may be good, but I'm just saying. It may be bad. I'm just saying. So how do we do that? Well, first of all, you got to be intentional in relationships. Intentional in relationships. You gotta you you can't wait for people to come to you. You gotta go to them. It's, it's like in a basketball game. The guy standing over waiting for the ball to come to him. I'm just thinking, it's maybe they're never gonna pass it to you. You gotta step in and be ready to get the ball. And and I just would say this that that you that you you gotta move, you gotta move 
you got to move them up in the line, right? And, and the, the, way, the way that's going to happen is when you move down in the line, when you, when you take the time to go where they are. I had a guy one time, he gave his life to Christ. He's in our youth ministry when I was a youth pastor. And he said he gave his life to Christ at a little bit of an older age. And uh, he said, you know, he said, you used to come and talk to me when I'd come to church sometimes with my parents. He said, I was always like, why is that guy always talking to me? And what he didn't know was every time I seen him, I went to him. I knew he wasn't right with Jesus. I went and I didn't, I didn't by the way, I didn't say repent. <laughs> You're going to hell. I wasn't the words I said. I went and just, I, I just said, hey, how's school going? What's happened in your life? Tell me about your life. I'm just being intentional in that. Let me tell you something. You've got to be intentional in relationships. The other thing you've got to do is you've got to find their spiritual spot. You've got to find people's spiritual spot. That's that place where they're most sensitive. Maybe, maybe it's family. Maybe it's kids. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's something in their life that's going on. And then you've got to kind of camp out and stay right there. And, and I like what Andy Stanley says. He says this, you've got to listen for three knots, right? Not in church, not going well, not prepared for what's coming, right? Not, not prepared for, there's a, there's a girl I saw this morning early on Facebook. I don't always look at it on Sundays, but I happened to catch it. I think it was this morning. could have been yesterday morning. I don't know. And I, and I, I saw, she said she, uh, this is probably from 2015, I'd say 2014, somewhere around there. She was in the youth ministry here, and uh, she got her apartment first time herself and got her car. And it took her a little while to kind of get some, had some rough times in life, and she was just so excited. And if I'd, if I'd been able to have a conversation with her some, somewhere in the middle of all this, she probably would have told me she's not prepared for adulting. Anybody, when you were a young person, kind of struggled with, you know, like, oh, my, we've got to buy toilet paper for our house now. I didn't know you had to do that. You know, not not prepared prepared for whatever it is, the workforce or or married. We're doing this marriage weekend. This come weekend, if you haven't already, uh, if you're getting married or, gonna, or married, if you haven't already registered, I encourage you to do so. Also, the uh, in t- uh, we got five of of these that are coming. That that they're weekends intensives that that you can you can sign up for all of them all at once or. But encourage you, maybe you know somebody, again, in that, in that conversation, being intentional, and they say something like, well, it's not going so great right now. Maybe, maybe you just invite them. We'll figure a way to scholarship them. Maybe you just want to pay $25 for a couple. Maybe you just want to say, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to take care. I want to invite you to this and, and, and invite them to be. The other, way, the other way in the moment that I make an impact is that the people in your life, you add value to them, that you add value. When you add value, it gives you the opportunity and privilege to share Jesus. If you don't add value to people, if you tear people down, you'll never be able to share Jesus with them. I know that's not rocket science, but so many, so many Christians don't get that. You've got to add value to people. How do you add value? Well, I would say this start with a smile. I go around church people, and they're like, like they've been sucking on lemons or something. They're so sour looking. Like you should have something to smile about. Should be something in your life because Jesus is there that causes you to want to smile. I get it. Maybe you're going through a struggle, but you're not going through a struggle 24 7, 365 days of the year. We'll, we'll pray the frown off of you and the smile on you if that's the case. But you got to add value. You got to add value. 
give people content like from your life. What have you experienced? Share something with them. There's a, there's a waiter that, that I see ever so often. His name's Ben, place, a breakfast place I go to sometimes. And Ben, I don't know what always go, going on in his life from his conversations. I don't think that he's made a commitment to Jesus and following. But he's reading a book, and I think it's good. It's not a book I'd ever recommended, but, but I know a little bit about the book, so I'm able to maybe throw a little out there to help direct him in the right way about it. But Ben, the other day he asked me, hey, how's it going? And uh, I said, oh, it's going good. And he'll ask me what I'm doing this week, and sometimes I'll tell him. Sometimes I'll say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching out of the book of Colossians this Sunday, and here's what it says. <laughs> sometimes. He keeps on asking me, so I'm glad. He's hungry. And, uh, and I don't, again, I've not, sometimes over your eggs and avocados, it's kind of hard to, like, really get to the deep theological issues with somebody, you know. But, but the other day he asked me, how's it going? I said, da-da-da-da-da. I said, hey, how's it going with you? He said, well, good. And I said, so what are you going to be up to? He said, well, I'm getting ready to go to Oregon with my girlfriend. I said, oh, okay. And uh, he said uh, her her grandfather died. And he said, you know, really, I just don't know what to say. He said, I, I tried to say some things, but I just don't know what to say. I said, well, Ben, just let me tell you something. You can't say anything that's going to change that. And you can't say anything that's going to make it better. There's no words that you can say that are going to change what she's feeling right now. I said, let me tell you what to do. He's leaning in. He's, like, listening close. Because I wanted to add value to him. So I'm going to share something with him that I know that might help him. I said, Ben, and again, I don't know his where he's at with Jesus. I feel like he's got some steps to go toward Jesus because we all do, right? But, but I said, Ben, here's what, here's what I do is I call it, I've learned this from somebody. I told him that. I said, I call it the ministry of presence. I said, it's just being there. All you got to do is just be there. You don't have to say anything. In fact, Ben, I don't know if you know anything to say, as you've told me. But you just got to be there. And he goes, oh, man, I like that ministry of presence. See, that's good. And so when he come back and we're working on the bill, and all, he said, he said, ministry of presence, I've been thinking about it as I've been waiting tables and stuff. I hope he's got the orders right, by the way. But, but he said, I've been thinking about that. And, and what I did for Ben was I just added a little value to him. I didn't lead him to Jesus right then because it's not the moment, but there's a moment where I can add some value, and I realize the moment. And, and sometimes it's, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of, of needs, one of them is a, the physiological needs that people have, right? Just need to survive, a need to get by in life. And sometimes you just got to realize that, hey, there's something that can be done in their life. That's why we do serve day. That's why we have outreaches, and that's why we do missions, and that's why we sometimes will say, hey, we're going we're gonna to go over to school and get uniforms for, for kids that can't afford it. And we say, hey, will you give to that? Will you help us supply you? Because we're saying, okay, there's some physiological needs that need to be taken care of, and so, God, we want to step into that. Maybe somebody in your life, they just need, they just have needs that need to be met. And then there's the love and affection needs that people have. That's why you befriend them. That's why you, that's why you do those things to to invest in their life because people don't care what you know. They want to know if you care. They want to know that you care. You can give them a bunch of information, and that's fine, whatever. Most people really don't need the information. What they need is they need to know that somebody cares about them. They're looking for that. Some people will, will, will spend a lifetime trying to find a person or a group of people that just genuinely care about them. And then the fulfillment needs and only Jesus can do that. 
Right? Each time that you add value to someone, I believe this, that, that, you, that they're moving a step closer to God every time you make that investment. In fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Right? I did my part. He did his part. But ultimately, it was God who's working. And so when we, when we understand that God has called us to be a difference maker, and that there are moments that we can step into, divine appointments, that it's in those times that, that we do what we can do and what God would use us to do in those moments. The other thing I noticed in verse 5 here, Apostle Paul says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Now, in the book of Colossians, he talks about how we deal with those inside earlier in the book, but here he's saying how we, how we act. I think it's simply put, how do we, how do we act to those outside? to those who aren't following Christ. He says, walk in wisdom. It's our manner, the manner in which we engage with people that, that don't know Jesus. Last Sunday, it was in the second service. Maybe you were here. My daughter brought my granddaughter, the youngest one. She's two, Olivia, back in the service. She'd been out. I don't know if she's in the nursery or where she's at, but she brought her in. It's toward the end of service, and, and everybody's standing, and we're at the end of the time, and I think people are praying, and I think people maybe have finished, and I'm getting ready to go up there, and I look, and Olivia, she takes off, and she's moving quickly just all the way across the front here. Do you remember that? She's like, I'm, I'm like, I almost went to grab her, but I thought, well, I'm just a grandparent. I'm the parent. Let the parent do that. That's a good thing about being a grandparent, like, you know. For my kid, I would have scooped her up, but I didn't know what she's doing. I thought she's just like, you know, free. I'm free. You know, I, I don't know what she was doing, but she was going to somebody, but she didn't see him. But for Olivia, I just think she wasn't even, she was clueless that there was all these people, all these eyes on her. She just kind of moving along, you know. If she had stopped for a moment and seen everybody, it may have like triggered, so like she might have thought, oh my, I'm going to get back to safety. All these people are looking at me, but no, she didn't realize it. And I think it's so important that you understand that with the people in the world that you're living, you may think nobody's watching you. There are people watching you right now. There's people watching you because they need to see somebody that will live this and will model a, a life before them that's filled with hope and filled with, filled with, with something greater than what they're experiencing. There's some people watching you because they don't believe what you got's real. There's some people watching you because they just don't like you. There's a whole lot of people. I'm not trying to discourage you, but I'm just telling you the honest truth. There's a whole lot of people watching you, and what you need to do is you need to realize that the manner in which you engage with them is so important, so important. Jesus said, you're in Matthew 5, you're the salt of the earth. He says in verse, four, in verse 13 in Matthew 5 and verse 14, he said, you are the light of the world, city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. And then in verse 16, he says, so let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. It's important the way that we live our life. Greatest influence that we can have on our world is how we live our lives. We think about our manner, the manner in which we live with those outside. It should be bringing the presence of Christ into a world that is in chaos. So important. And how does that happen? Well, number one, makes things better and brighter, right? Not, not, not dimmer and worse. When you leave an interaction with someone, it should, should have helped them, not hurt them. Understand their world. Does it mean that you're... It's, it's, it's not about building fences so you can stay out of their world. It's not about lines. We've got to connect. We've got to connect. 
It's not approval, but acceptance. It doesn't mean that you approve of everything everybody does. Certainly not, right? But you accept. Jesus in uh, Luke chapter 19, he is, uh, he's coming in uh, to a town, and, and there's, a, there's a man that's he's shorter, s- small stature, and he gets up in a tree because he wants to be able to see Jesus because the crowd's going to be big, and he won't be able to see it. So he gets up in a tree, and Jesus, Jesus sees him there, and Jesus speaks to him. This guy's a kind of a wicked man. He's a tax collector. They really looked, by the way, in biblical times, tax collectors were like bad guys. Not like now where they're real good guys, right? Way worse than we view a tax collector today. And Jesus starts talking to him and says, hey, I'm going to be at your house. We're going to hang out today. We're going to have lunch. And people around are like, whoa, what's he doing? Going to the sinner's house. Like, what in the world is going on with Jesus? What's went wrong with him? And by the way, this guy did wrong things. And Jesus, you know, he didn't approach the tree and say, hey, up in the tree, you're doing this and this and this and this, and you need to stop it. That's not what he does. By the way, sometimes sometimes as Jesus followers, I see people, and they want to correct everybody out there. I'm like, hey, that's not the way it works. you got to connect before you can correct. Zacchaeus will get things right. He'll get connected. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Jesus connects with him first. 1 Corinthians 9 uh, verse 22, the latter portion of that verse, the Apostle Paul said, I become all things to all men that by all means I might win, I might save some. It's understanding that, that you've got to connect. Somebody shout connect. And then verse 6, just real quickly here, he says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. So, we're, so, so in our moment we're wise, in our manner we're wise, and lastly, our message. He said, let your speech, let your message be Filled with grace. Well, we understand grace, I think. Grace is unmerited favor. It means that, that in your relationship and speaking with someone, that, you, that you're going to do it with grace. It's not condemnation. It's not guilt and shame. It's with grace. It's giving them space and margin, even though you may disagree on a lot of stuff. But your speech is going to be filled with grace. And he says season with salt, which is an odd kind of way. It, it, and maybe we wouldn't understand that, but for the Greeks, it meant with wit. Right, they're, 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 you're, you're using some smarts when you say it. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 23 and 25, but avoid foolish and unlearned debates knowing that they create strife. Oh, you should highlight that one and underline it. That's an important one right there. The servant of the Lord must not quarrel but must be gentle toward all people, able to teach, patient, and gentleness, instructing those in opposition. Perhaps God will grant repentance for them to know the truth. 1 Peter 3, verse 15, 16, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a, a defense, an answer to everyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. And so it's important that we decide once and for all that Jesus is Lord, right? And that we live that way, right? That my life is not just for myself. I'm living this life, as, as C.T. Studd said, that one day, if I've spent it all for him, I'll be happy. And then be prepared to give an answer, a defense. Now, you don't have to be in a place that you're giving a defense and answer for everything. He didn't say that. For the hope, it's within you. You know, somebody comes, you know, people do this sometimes. They get some Old Testament story and they're like, Pastor, da 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 And sometimes I'll spend some time on it, but sometimes I just think, well, you're struggling too much over that. 
sometimes people ask me, now who, who was Cain's wife? I'm like, I can answer it real quick. It's not that difficult. You want to hear it? Cain's wife was a woman he was married to. It's not hard. You may, if, and if you have to get past that, you may be struggling a little bit with something you probably aren't going to find the answer to and ain't going to help you. Or, you know, why, why do bad things happen to good people? It's a good one. It's because we're in a bad world, right? We understand that. It's a sinful world, right? God, God, God has, he's going to work things out for our good, but, yeah, we're in a, we're in a real world. And so, so then you got to help people because it's not about winning arguments. It's about winning hearts, right? It's, it's not my conversation isn't with someone isn't so that I can, I can be right about something. Jesus is already right. I don't have to struggle with being right about everything. Somebody get in, they get in some theologies and they're talking to me. I'm like, you know, honestly, I think it's probably way easier for somebody to get saved and come to Jesus than you think it is. And I think it's way harder to, to leave that than you think it is. There you go. That's my theological response. I don't, I don't have to argue about it all day. Now, when people talk about their problems, they talk about what they're going through, we've got to share the hope that we have. Sometimes it's sometimes in sharing the hope we have. It's it's I I, I wish that I wish that you could have the peace that I know. It's, it's things like God can erase your past. He can give you a, a mulligan. He can give you a do over. He can give you a fresh start. Jesus makes all things new. It's 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 giving them hope for their life. Sharing hope. Sometimes it's sharing my church. I said earlier, it's not just about inviting people, but sometimes you just need it. You do just need to invite low-hanging fruit. A lot of people, if you just invite, they'll say yes. And we think it's hard sometimes, and it's probably not. Probably not. They, they may be waiting for you to ask, and you never go there because you're filled with fear about it. And then lastly, share Christ. Share Christ. Share Jesus. And, and, I, and I would say this, that you don't have to make that a difficult thing either. Sometimes it's just maybe you say, you know, if you're interested in, 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 in Jesus and you want to receive Christ, I'll pray with you. Sometimes it's just it's sharing your story. Here's the answer. Here's the hope it lies within. This is my B.C. life, my before Christ life. You don't have to get the whole trash can out and empty it out and let everybody see all the stuff was in it. You just open a little bit. People already know. The garbage can smells bad, right? This is this is this is who I was and what I what I was about. But the best thing in my life ever happened to me is Jesus came into my life. The best thing. The best thing. If you know Jesus, you probably say amen to that, am I right? Yeah. Best thing that ever happened to me. This is my life. Jesus. And when Jesus came into my life, he just flipped the switch. I'm not the same person I was. St. Corinthians 5.17 said, said that if, you're, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creature, new creation. Old things passed away, behold, all things become new. Not the same person I was before because of Jesus. And let me tell you about what my life's been like since. Let me tell you about the abundant life, the life that's full, the life that's, that's, that I'm living now, and the joy that I experience. I want to tell you, Somebody in your life needs to hear that story. Somebody in your life that you can make a difference in by just sharing the hope you have. 
sharing your church and sharing Jesus.